Welcome, everyone, to the Theology Central Podcast. It is Sunday, December the 26th, 2021. It is currently 3.48 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. We're currently outside. Now, remember, it's December the 26th. It is currently 86 degrees. A little while ago when I got in my car and I started driving here, I think it said 87, 88 degrees. So it, it's, it's dropped a few degrees, but it almost got to, to 90 degrees here in West Texas, even though it's December the 26th. I know, I know you probably don't care, but I just have to tell you because it just, it's just, it's December and it feels like, literally it feels like summer. So, well, not not in the middle of a West Texas summer where it's 195 degrees. Okay, maybe that's a little hyperbole, but that's what's going on outside. It is a, I mean, if you like warm weather, it's a beautiful day in here in West Texas, but I'm here inside of the sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church where we've got to talk about something far more important than the weather. Now, the weather constantly changes, right? I think we can all agree, right? Here in West Texas, it's 80-something degrees. My daughter lives in Boston, and she was sending me videos of snow, of cold. And so it can change. It can change in any area where you live. It's constantly changing. One day it's warm, one day it's cold. It changes from geographical region. It changes state by state. The weather is always in a constant flux. It's always changing. We can all agree with that, right? Sometimes people joke, and the joke is used no matter what state you live in. You can, whether when I lived in Nebraska, people would say, uh, People who live in it in Texas will say, if you don't like the weather, just wait a few minutes and it will change. I think everybody in every state makes some kind of claim like that. But it's the constant idea, the weather is always changing. Can we predict what the weather is going to be? It's constantly changing. Yes, I am overemphasizing that. It's constantly changing. But the one thing that we would say as Christians should never change, it is the word of God. We say that the word of God should never change. We should never add to it. We should never subtract from it. We may quote scripture like this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Matthew 24, 35. We may say something like that. It's the the word of God doesn't change. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. The weather may change. You may change. The world may change. But God's word doesn't change. It it will stand forever. And God doesn't change. I think we can all say amen to that. Now, what what would you say if I was to tell you that coming up in May of 2022, we're gonna get a new edition of the Bible. And this new edition of the Bible comes with it are you ready? 20,000 revisions. A new edition of the Bible will be coming out in May of 2022 that will include 20,000 revisions. Are those good revisions? Are those bad revisions? Are those revisions you think should be made? What do you think in regards to this? Now, I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm not trying to use any form of hyperbole, but I think it's an important question to consider what can and what shouldn't be changed. Now, we understand that translation 
I mean, whenever you're translating anything, there's so many different factors to consider and lots of issues can't, I mean, let me say it this way. Just because there are, just because in translation, there's things that have to be revised or changed doesn't always mean that there's some grand conspiracy, doesn't mean that someone's trying to destroy God's word. But when there are 20,000 revisions, it's at least something to be aware of. And then we should at least ask this question. Like before we jump to any conclusions, we should say something like, show me the revisions. Let me see the revisions. Let's see if we can understand the reason, what justification is offered up for all of the revisions. Now, it is December of 2021. I'm predicting that as we move into 2022, this may become a somewhat of a controversial story and a bigger story. Maybe, and hopefully you will remember where you heard it first, right? When everyone starts talking about it in 2022, I want you to go, well, if you would have listened to the Theology Central podcast, you would have heard them talking about it at the end of 2021. I want you to just know that this is coming and you can start thinking about it now and start figuring out what you think about this and see if we can find out their reasons and their justifications for 20,000 revisions. Here is the story. It was published on December the 24th at 5 a.m. Friday, December the 24th at 5 a.m. And this was published in the Los Angeles Times. That's what really caught my attention. It wasn't even from a Christian website, from the Los Angeles Times. Here is the headline. A new edition of the Bible with 20,000 revisions should spark 20,000 thoughtful conversations. So according to the Los Angeles Times, this new edition of the Bible that contains 20,000 revisions should spark 20,000 thoughtful conversations. Now, I think the reality is it's not going to spark 20,000 thoughtful conversations. It's going to spark lots of controversy and probably accusations of conspiracy and lots of, there's going to be a lot of things said. I don't know how thoughtful the conversations will be. Maybe we should say it this way. 20,000 revisions is going to spark 20,000 debates and you're going to have your own thoughts and your own opinions about all of this. Let's, let's see what they have to say, right? Here is the article. They start, interesting enough, with, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So I just think that's interesting. They start with that verse, Matthew 24, 35, and they say this. This sentiment is expressed in at least five other places in the Bible. And yet perhaps the most erudite institution of biblical scholars has just released 20,000 changes in the Bible. Now, the idea of erudite is, and I'll just, the idea of erudite is having or showing great knowledge or learning. So an institution, no, maybe the institution most known for its education and its learning of biblical, uh, dealing with biblical scholarship, they've just released 20,000 changes in the Bible. So you can see this is from a, this is showing up in a secular newspaper. And so just, just try to imagine for a second, you don't know much about Christianity. You don't really know much about translations. You don't know anything about that. You're just like, wait, so the Bible makes it sound like that God's word's going to stand forever, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, that God's word's not going to pass away, that somehow it's preserved, somehow it is kept. And yet a new edition of the Bible is going to be released. It has 20,000 
revisions, that's going to cause a little bit of skepticism. That's going to create a little bit of doubt. And, 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 and you can see, you can see why. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's unfair to go, well, you should not have doubt. I, 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 I mean, I think it's unfair to say you should not have doubt. I think it's unfair to not allow people to have those questions and those doubts because it's going to be a little bit confusing. So the Bible's been around for a very long time. There are over, I think, 100, if I, if my, if my memory serves me correct, I believe there are over 100 complete English translations of the Bible. Over 100. So after 100 translations have been made, after the Bible has been read and studied and studied and translated and translated and translated, after all of that is done, we're going to get to 2022 and we're going to get a new edition that has 20,000 revisions. That could make some people somewhat skeptical and, 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 and question everything. Now, this is what it's going to be. The 20,000 revisions are going to be a part of an update to the new revised standard version, which was released digitally this month. So the new revised standard version was released digitally in December of 2021. Maybe you knew it, maybe you did not. And it is to be in print next May, which will be May 2022. I have a feeling that when the printed copy is released, that's when maybe the debates will start and the controversy will begin. Who knows? There's so many English translations right now. Maybe no one will even notice. No, maybe no one will even care. But I have a feeling someone somewhere will bring this up and it will start the debate. As you can imagine, such a task is not undertaken lightly. The update represents more than four years of intense work of the National Council of Churches and a large group of scholars and the Society of Biblical Literature. The result, this is how they describe it in the Los Angeles Times, is a careful, now this is what really got my attention, creative revisions. Now, careful revision, I, I can at least appreciate that. Okay, hey, we think we need to make a revision here, but we're going to be very, 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 very careful about doing this and, and trying to ensure that we preserve the integrity and we're, we, we are accurate with the manuscripts. Okay, but the creative, that, that, that may, how creative do we need to be? So careful, I understand. Creative makes me a little nervous. Like all new biblical translations and updates over the past millennium, including the King James Version, this brings new meanings to biblical texts. Now, that is a massive claim, that for every new translation, every time a new translation comes out, it brings new meaning to the text itself. So like, here's our understanding. Oh, look, we get a new translation. Now we find new meaning. Are you saying that the Meaning was hidden until we got the new translation? Are you saying that nobody could understand that meaning or that nobody had ever heard of that meaning, ever came to that conclusion until that new translation came out? Well, that would raise some serious red flags, right? I mean, that would be, that's a massive claim. Hey, for all of these years in church history, y'all did not, you, you know, none of you could understand the meaning of the text until this new translation came out, this new edition with all of these revisions. 
that that's that's something to be considered, and and we have to. Well, we'll see if they believe that this new translation brings somehow some new meaning to the text. Each uh, each iteration of the of the Bible addresses some need in the culture at the moment. So each time we find a, a kind of a new edition of a Bible that supposedly it's there to address a a new, as they state it, some need in the culture. Hey, here's the culture. It has this need. We need a new edition of the Bible. We need a new translation to address that need. Okay, we'll leave that there for a second. I hope the updated edition, and now this is what this is known as, the NRS, the NRSV, U-E, N-R-S-V is all in capital letters, and then U-E is in smaller case. N-R-S-V-U-E, the N-R-S-V-U-E. N-R-S-V is all in caps, and U-E is in lowercase. I hope the updated edition fuels a wider public discussion about what the Bible is becoming in our era. Now, this seems to, is the Bible becoming something different for our, for the era that we live in? Is it becoming something new? Is it, is it changing? Is it evolving? And if it's, if so, what, what does, what does that mean? I mean, like these are lots of major statements without any explanation it's something to consider. Is the Bible becoming something different than it was? And if it, if that is the case, what does that mean going forward for the church and for Christianity? Let's continue reading. Um, for instance, the reasons for revisions vary greatly, prompting the overall textual meanings to spin out in many directions and uh, broader and, and, and basically uh, broadening dialogue. Now, that's that's a mouthful there, but according to them, all right, the reasons for revisions vary greatly. There's there's always different reasons for revisions, and they prompt the overall textual meaning to spin out in so many directions and broadening dialogue. It goes back to the idea that for every revision, for every update, for every new translation, it somehow changes our perspective, changes our understanding. That, those, those, I, I don't know. I mean, what, do, what do you think of those claims? That's, that's like saying, okay, well, the Christians in the 600s versus the Christians in the 1980s, they had completely different meanings because they had different translations available to them. I will argue that there, there's been a pretty consistent belief system about Jesus being the eternal son of God, the Trinity, salvation. I, wouldn't you agree that I would argue that the differences that have occurred in Christianity is not a result of interpretation, or or, I'm sorry, I should say this, is not a result of translation, but a result of interpretation. I, I mean, maybe there are some passages where translation has sparked serious disagreements, 
But I think most of the cases is like, okay, we, this is basically what the text says, but everyone interprets what this text says differently. It's not so much an argument about what the text actually says. There may be some cases of the Bible where that, that's true, but I don't know. They, they seem to make it that basically everything changes as translations changes. Let, they, let's continue. For the past 70 years, the Revised Standard Version and 1989's New RSV, the New Revised Standard Version, version has been the go-to English Bible for students and scholars. This month's NRSV update is especially well-suited to opening a broader public conversation because it is not revised with a single-minded agenda by one denomination or faith, but with multiple nuanced goals by a joint working group, including Jewish, Protestant, Orthodox, and Catholic scholars. For the public, then, these revisions are not so much fine-tuning of doctrine as expansion of the Bible's range. Now, I will say this. The one thing you don't want in any translation is people doing anything to the translation to support their presupposed theological belief system or their doctrinal system. What you want is them to translate the text, giving us the most accurate rendering of the text. And who cares if it agrees, disagrees, destroys someone's theological perspective or, uh, or supports someone's theological perspective. It should be like, what does the text say? Who cares what it does to theology? Who cares if it destroys an entire denomination? That's irrelevant. All that matters is what does the text say? You would hope that that's always the goal in mind. You, you would hope. All right. Now they go on to say, now here is what they, now this is important. Here's a handful of examples that give a taste of that potential. Now they say this has the potential of expanding the Bible's range, not so much fine-tuning doctrine. Here's what they have to say. All right. You, you can make your own judgment here. All right. They, they give us the example of Mark 1469. Mark 1469. I'm going to gra- grab my Bible here. Mark 1469. Mark 1469. Mark 1469 from the King James. Mark 1469. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. Right, so it refers to this, this individual as a maid. The new revised standard version says, and the servant girl on seeing him began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But it has now been revised in the new RSVUE as this. And the female servant on seeing him began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. This revision brings, with good reason, now listen to this, feminist consciousness to take away a demeaning translation that calls a woman a girl so the female servant quickly becomes someone with more agency and character. So they're saying this revision has feminist 
consciousness because it's demeaning to simply refer to her as a uh, a girl or you like if, by calling her a girl I, I I don't know what they would say about referring to her as a maid um but referring to her as a girl is somehow well it takes away uh, maybe if I do it this way it takes away um by calling her a female it becomes someone with more agency and character Hey, they, they called her a female. This person has agency and character. Called her a girl. That takes away her agency and character. I, am I missing something? Am, am, am I? Am, if I'm missing something, I'm more than willing to go. Okay, I, I, I don't think I, I just like it's a young girl. It's, it's, is that is that bad to say? It, it seems to indicate that it's a young girl. Is that? I can't call her a girl. Have to call her a young female. Is that it? Uh, okay? Um, l- uh, literally, the revision makes her a bigger person, and the readers of the Bible today, today themselves have more room to be engaged. That just seems like a weird, like okay, it called it, it called her a, 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 um, a female servant instead of referring to her as a girl. This makes her a woman. It gives her character, gives her agency. So therefore, now. And it makes her a bigger person. So now someone who reads the Bible all the time, I, I can have more room to be engaged. I, I don't even know what any of that means. That just sounds like, what does does like, that's your go, your first example is that? See, when, when I first started reading the news article, I was like, okay, their examples are going to have to be, I mean, this sounds like important things. This is going to really change the direction of the Bible. And that's their first example. Well, you see, it used to call her a girl. Now it calls her a servant, a female servant. That gives her more character, more more agency. What in the world? Am I, 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 I'm missing something here, but let's see if there's any more. Oh, wait, here's another one. Leviticus 4.8 and more than 125 other verses have the same issue. All right. Um, now I'm assuming. Okay, here. I'm going to Leviticus four eight. That's just weird the way they have this written here. Leviticus four eight. Now Leviticus four eight has nothing. Yeah, um, and he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for the sin offering, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards. So the way this is written. Because it, it just leaves the whole discussion about the female servant, and okay, then it immediately drops down, and it says uh, Leviticus four eight, and then it opens parentheses, and more than one hundred and twenty five other verses with the same issue close, par- uh, you know, uh, parentheses, and then uh, it jumps down to now giving the different translations of Leviticus four eight. All right, here we go. The New Revised Standard Version: He shall remove all the fat from the bull of sin offering. The new RSVUE, he shall remove all the fat from the bull of the purification offering. The scholars explain that this improves upon an earlier distortion of, of a Hebrew word. The notion of sin has been removed because they believe purification offering more closely reflects the ancient Hebrew word. 
This revision opens up new biblical conversation and subject matter without taking sin out of the larger biblical picture. With the revision, the 21st century Bible now joins the many world cultures in which purifying is a regular practice but is less entangled in sin considerations. So they're saying now here now I'm 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 always willing to consider is purification offering a better rendering of the Hebrew. If it is, then by all means we need to change it. Is it so so that's all that matters. If if it is purification, does that change anything? Like if we put sin offering, do we do we get one way of thinking? If we say purification offering. What do we need to be purified from? If it's a if it's an offering for purification, wouldn't it be a purification related to something in, regarding sin? I I don't I don't really, really they seem that just re, it, removing it from sin is somehow a good thing. I I don't I'm not so sure with that one. That that one's another. In, then they go to the next one, Matthew four twenty four. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him. I'm, in fact, let me read it from the King James verse uh, first. Matthew four twenty four. Matthew four twenty four. I really thought there was going to be like something like these. None of none of the things here seem. I don't know. They're they're making it like it's a big deal. All right, but here we go. Matthew four twenty four. And his fame went through all of Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken uh, with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, those who were lunatic those that had the palsy, and he healed them, right? New RSV. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demonics, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them, right? So people had demons, people who I guess had epilepsy, and people who were paralyzed, The NSRVU, the one with 20,000 revisions, says this. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, people possessed by demons, or having epilepsy, or afflicted with paralysis, and he cured them. The scholar explained, when context permits, the the NRSVU avoids translations that identify people in terms of disability. This brings a modern sensibility to bear because we now believe that an illness or symptom is something a person has, not who they are. The rewording is helpful for scholarly church and public readers. The reference to demon possession, well, modern audiences can make of that what they will, no matter how they how we phrase it, each so they're like, and I guess the old one just refers to a people epileptics, paralytics. So in other words, they're identified by their supposed disability. The new one says people possessed by demons are having epilepsy or afflicted with paralysis. So now the people are not identified by their disability. They're just spoken of as someone who has a disability. And that this makes it, brings in a modern sensibility. I 
I, I don't know. I mean, is it, now, I mean, does that really change much about the text? I, I, I don't know. They go on to say this. Each change illuminates not only how the old and new language speaks to us, but also how we filter and frame the text we consume. As this edition attempts to both modernize and improve historical accuracy, we need to notice some of the stunning cross-purposes and play within and about the Bible in in any particular era. To consider these 20,000-plus revisions and to observe how our own understanding changes is to see why many scholars refer to living biblical text. The real character of such material develops and is alive in new ways for each different time and situation. That makes me a little nervous. Hey, okay, society changes. All right, so we need to change the wording of the text to follow the change in society. What should never determine how we translate the Bible? It should... The culture should never determine how we change the Bible. We should never change the interpret the uh, translation of the Bible to meet modern day sensibilities. Modern day sensibilities are not to be taken into consideration when translating the text. All we care about is it is it accurate, and if it's accurate and it goes against modern day sensibilities or goes against the spirit of the culture, and they get upset about it, that cannot be our concern. What does the text say? If the text says it and it's accurate, then we proclaim it with or without offense to friend or foe. It doesn't matter. We speak the word of God as it goes. And I'm borrowing from a quote that used to be at the top of our local newspaper, and I can't remember who originally stated it. So I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing a famous quote from someone whom I don't currently remember. All right. So that right there just bothers me. Greatly. Over the, ta- uh, over the past 10 years, I've been part of a project considering, uh, uh, see, um, all right, here we go. Um, so he's been a part of a project that basically considers a moment almost 2,000 years ago in the formation of a text that eventually became Christian canon. Our findings presented in After Jesus Before Christianity portrays a living and often shifting word. One sees that ancient meaning-making even among the early authors and audiences in the original languages was strikingly similar to today's expanding territory for biblical, for Bible engagement through swirling conversations, translations, revisions, and interpretations. Those texts from the first few centuries of multiple Jesus groups were full of creativity, rich with nuance from a time of great diversity. The word Christian certainly did not mean a member of a religion in the early centuries. The word hardly existed at all in the first century and varied widely in meaning among the second and third century users of the term. Those authors, con- uh, the, these authors' concept of gender was full of fluidity, which manifested in word choice and practice. What in the world? So, so the original authors of scripture's concept of gender was full of fluidity, which manifested in a word, in word choice and practice. Modern audiences may squirm over these agendas and ambiguities, but they are intrinsic to texts that come to be called scripture. Biblical scholar Vincent Wimbush has coined a term for the process scripturalizing 
which acknowledges the aliveness of text and how they become present through modification and words and meanings. He now uses scripturalizing, particularly in the way the Bible, uh, the way the Bible belongs to African Americans throughout the last 400 years, integrating earlier scholarship and cultural studies while challenging white dominant domination of biblical study. Wimbush writes, this means seeing scripture as reflective of the basic play element and culture as rites, performances, and their varied veiling and unveiling operations and effects. A lot of these quotes, a lot of these quotes, you're just like, what in the world are they even, can you just come out and say what you mean? It's so, oh, we're going to sound very academic. We're going to sound very lofty. What are you just trying to say? They're making an argument that the Bible's constantly been in a state of flux. It's constantly changing. And it seems to be indicating that what changes it is the culture in which it finds itself. So those translations are translated to fit that the cultural norms and, and to, to somehow go with cultural sensibilities. I, those are lots of assertions and lots of claims. Remember, for us, we don't care about sensibilities. We don't care about culture. We just want to know what the text actually says. Again, lots of just very big claims here. Um, they're going to say, don't look to the latest biblical revisions to settle theological questions, but to raise important new ones, urging us to look deeper and wider into the text as well as into ourselves. The updated edition of the new Revised Standard Version is its own act of unveiling. <laughs> That's, a, I, I hate to say, that, a lot of that just sounds like a lot of blah, 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 blah. It's just like a lot of, okay, you used a lot of words. What? So what should we take away from this? that a new Bible or a new edition of the Bible is coming out in May 2022 in a printed form that contains 20,000 revisions. And the revisions you give me are things that you say need to be revised to meet feminist consciousness and to make sure that we are use modern sensibilities to not identify a person by their disability, but to say that that person has a disability. Now, I... I, I, from a medical perspective, I understand that we want to treat people with disabilities in a, in a more correct way and see them not as a person with it, as a disability, but to see them a person with a disability. I can definitely understand that when it comes to medical care and how we treat people and even in society, how we treat those with disabilities, right? I don't want to be viewed as the person who has epilepsy. I, I, that epilepsy defines me. I want to be defined as a person who has epilepsy. And I can understand that as someone who's an epileptic who has seizures due to what happened to me in the military. So I can at least understand that. But when it comes to the Bible, okay, wait, 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 wait. It, it refers to that person as an epileptic or a paralytic. It doesn't, it doesn't say the person has it. Wait, okay. This messes up my whole understanding of the Bible. I can't read it. Well, wait, I, what in the world? Isn't it just not is, like, that's not the purpose of that text. Now, the one interesting one, sin offering or purification offering, I think that's been discussed in a lot of comment. I think even a lot of commentaries in Leviticus call it a purification offering and not a sin offering. Does that, 
All right. Now, if 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 it if, if purification is a correct, a better rendering of the Hebrew, I'm all for hearing that. But some of those other wait, it, it refers to her as a female servant, not as a girl. Referring to her as a girl is somehow demeaning and takes away her agency and it makes her less than a person. What in the world is that? Now, twenty thousand revisions. All we can do is wait and see. Now, I have not looked at the digital of. Uh, copy of this. In fact, let me look at this really quick and see how easy it would be for you to find. Let's just see how easy. And if you want to start looking at it, be my guest. If you find anything interesting, anything super concerning that we need to talk about, that article is concerning because it really almost gives the idea that we should we should look at what society wants and give them a Bible that meets their, their wants. And I, you know, crazy, All right? NRS... NRS view. Come here. All right. Um, here we go. NRS view, Holy Bible with Apocrypha. It's going to be $54. Is it already available for purchase? Um, well, I don't, there's no place to buy it yet. That's interesting. Okay. I'm trying to see if there's a place for, um, oh, here we go. Oh, no, this is Amazon. I'm, I'm trying to see if there's supposedly in a, 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 yeah, okay. They have August, 2022 here, NRS view, Holy Bible, leather, soft, burgundy, comfort print, um, so they already got him listed in like Amazon and all of the stores, but the, the release date is not till 2022, which makes sense. I'm, oh, they're going to have a Kindle edition. I wonder if the Kindle edition is already available. Yes. The Kindle edition is already available for $9.99, NRS View Holy Bible. Um, and it's number one right now. And new releases. So that means a a considerable number of people are buying this. So that's something that's interesting. I didn't think it would be listed as number one. Um, Now, back in October, someone on Reddit posted this question. Can someone briefly... uh, and can someone briefly explain why we are about to have a new revised standard? Close this. A new, a new, new revised standard version is the pronoun of politics at work, only trying to unwind the accomplishments of the new RSV. Why, what is, why is it meant to be easier to read? All right. And, uh, nobody really gives any definitive answers here. I think think there's five comments. Is it going to let me read them? Um, No, there's really not much here. So I, yeah, it's, I think there's going to be a little bit of confusion here. The main thing that you have to understand when someone goes and tries to find a Bible, they they get on Amazon, they get somewhere and they see a million different copies, a a million different versions, and they don't have any clue exactly what's going on. 
I just want you to be aware of it. You may be able to search. In fact, if I go back to the story, do they have a link to the digital version? All right, hang on. Here we go. I may be able to get to the digital version here. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I can download it. There's an app for it. The NRSV Updated Edition. All right. Um, If you go to friendshippress.org, friendshippress.org, I guess there is a link to apps where you can look at the NRSV UE, which stands for Updated Edition, NRSV UE for Updated Edition. You can now look at it. If you go to friendshippress.org, dot o-r-g that's friendshippress.org you can look at it and draw your own conclusions and just be aware of it and you know i there, there i'm a little bit concerned especially with the way that article tries to describe it really is hey the text is living and it changes based off the needs of culture and cultural sensibilities so if the culture doesn't like well how far do you take that Hey, the cultural sensibility is we no longer believe fornication is a sin. So any verse that implies that it is, we're going to remove it. I mean, like, how far do you take that? How much do you try to accommodate cultural sensibilities before you destroy the meaning of the text? Again, all that should matter is accuracy, not sensibilities. All that should matter is accuracy, not cultural changes. I want you to be aware of it. If you do any research on this or you hear anything about it, let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at, yeah, newsif at yahoo.com because I, we'll definitely want to update this and follow this as we go into 2022. I just know that this is something that will I, – I, I'm my prediction is it's going to get lots of debate and coverage. And so we can just say we brought it to you first. Do I have all the answers right now? No. Do I – can I dogmatically, I, I can dogmatically say that article from the Los Angeles Times was problematic. I can definitely tell you that. I can definitely see that some of those changes are somewhat like, wait, what, what are we trying to do here? Um, I can at least be suspicious, but we will have to do a little bit more digging before we can be more dogmatic. But that's, this is when you have a developing story, you, you, you give everyone the information you have currently and say, this is still developing, check back, and and we will try to follow this and see how much discussion we need to have, have about it and how much you're interested in it. So there you have it. After one, a, a new revision of the Bible with 20,000 revisions. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this and we will see where this goes. All right, thanks for listening. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.